I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 5, beginning at verse 27, where Luke writes, After this, he, meaning Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think sometimes Jesus may have needed a a campaign manager. Maybe Jesus needed a public relations department to to help him out sometimes. There were things that Jesus did that that would sometimes make people scratch their heads. Things that he said that maybe were not polished as well as they could be. Jesus, we need to soften that down a little bit. That had a little edge to it. We need to, to maybe cut that edge off just a little bit. Maybe Jesus needed some help picking his cabinet Who are the people that you're going to put around you? Who are going to be the the people that are most intimate with you, that that someday will will lead and be the people that, that can help form this church that you're forming? Maybe Jesus needed some help picking these because, well, Jesus picked some odd characters. Sometimes he picked unpopular people like a tax collector. In Jesus' time, tax collectors were often considered to be traitors. Uh, They were considered to be people who were extortionists because in those days you were collecting for the Roman government. Rome was occupying Israel at the time. and, And so the tax collectors, they were collecting taxes not for the country that they loved, but rather for the occupying country. And so people didn't enjoy that. They, they hated the tax collectors. They resented the tax collectors. And the way the Roman laws worked, as long as the Roman government got its fair share of the taxes, they didn't care how much the tax collector might actually be charging the people. And so it was just a great opportunity to take advantage of others. I mean, just imagine, even today, 
tax collectors are not considered the most popular people. On one of my previous churches, I was visiting with a family that had recently joined our church and we were getting ready to, to put together a pictorial directory so that people would get to know who all their family members are in the congregation. And, and this family shared, we're willing to have our picture made, we'll, we'll put our name in, we don't want any contact information in it. Now they gave me their contact information, but they said, you need to keep this really private. We don't want you sharing this. And I said, okay, talk to me about this. And, and then the lady shared, she goes, I'm an executive with the Internal Revenue Service. And that doesn't always go over so well. So we don't put our contact information out because either people are calling because they're unhappy or people are calling wanting to know, you know, can you help me with this or help me with that? Or what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And she goes, it's just better off if people don't know what I do. And that's a tax collector for a country that we love. So tax collectors in Jesus' time, they were, were just not popular at all. And yet, when Jesus is choosing disciples, he tags a tax collector named Levi. Follow me. Follow me. One of the things that Luke shows us throughout his gospel is that Jesus is able to see directly into our hearts. Jesus is able to see what's going on inside of us. So many of us, we judge other people by appearance. We judge other people by what they do. Jesus is able to look inside. There's something about Levi that Jesus picks him. In Luke 9, verse 47, for example, we hear, but Jesus, aware of their inner thoughts, took a child and tells the rest of the story. But Jesus sees our inner thoughts, who we are on the inside, what makes us up, and he calls Levi. Now, if you turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, you'll see that Levi is the same person as Matthew. When Matthew tells the story, he, he says, you know, and Matthew was sitting at the tax booth. So that we know Levi is Matthew. What else do we know? We know he's a wealthy man. In just a little while, he's going to throw a banquet for a whole large crowd of people at his house. Must be a pretty large house. He's obviously done well in his role as a tax collector. And yet there was something missing in his life. And Jesus sees him and says, follow me. And what I find interesting is that Matthew gets up and follows him. I've often wondered what it would be like to look in Jesus' eyes. What was it about Jesus that he could just say to somebody, follow me? And they would leave everything, whether it was their boats, like Simon Peter, or their tax booth. Follow me, they just follow. I remember one of my very first district superintendents, his name was John Christie, and, and people would talk about when you looked in his eyes, what you saw was honesty and integrity. He was an amazing man and a great mentor in my life. Was it Jesus' eyes? Or was it his authority? I mean, Jesus had the ability to say to the wind and the waves, peace be still, and they would stop. He, he, could, he could look at the demonic and, and cast them out and and just with his word, and he spoke with authority. Maybe it was his voice. But we're told that Matthew got up and he followed immediately. He left everything. 
Now, when you hear that, that does not mean that, that the moment that he started following Jesus, he gave away everything that he owned, because we know he throws a party later. But what it means is that he left everything, meaning his old life, his old self, the person that he had been before he had this encounter with Jesus. He left all of that and he followed him, which means to be a disciple. And not only did he follow Jesus, but he worshiped him. Now, catch what happened. Sometimes I think, as I've shared with you before, we read the Bible too fast. Because when you read the scripture in Luke, it says then that Matthew or Levi throws a banquet for Jesus. The banquet wasn't for his friends. It wasn't for the other tax collectors. It was for Jesus. He, he is celebrating who Jesus is, and, and so he's worshiping him. And, and in the midst of his worship and his celebration of his new relationship with Jesus, he invites then his friends and colleagues. We're told that the table is filled with tax collectors and sinners. There, there were people all around that there was a, a large crowd. Matthew says it's, it's a large crowd. Luke tells us it's a large crowd that's there with him. Because Luke is sharing that, that Levi, Matthew, wants everybody to know this Jesus that has just changed his life. Come, meet this Jesus who has changed my world and given me new life. Well, the Pharisees and the scribes aren't real happy about it. Pharisees are the separated ones. They've agreed that they will set themselves aside to follow every letter of the law. They're going to dot the I's, cross the T's. The scribes are the ones who study the scripture and copy the scripture. They're the biblical scholars as well. And, and, and they're just not happy at all because here Jesus is in this house and he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. At least, did you catch, that's what the Pharisees call them. The Pharisees judge them as sinners. Now, it may be that these people have truly done something where in the eyes of the synagogue, they are now cast out. Maybe they have been officially deemed to be sinners, but they're amazed that Jesus is at the table with them. When you sat at the table with someone in biblical times, that said something special. To be invited to eat with someone was a, a sign of community. We see it in the early church in Acts that the people would come together to eat. There's something sacred about eating together and to be invited to someone's home. To be invited into someone's home, well, that showed a relationship. And to eat with them at their table showed acceptance. It showed friendship. It showed oneness and and solidarity together. And so Jesus doesn't hesitate. He's eating at a large table filled with people. Even today, eating together has a sense of sacredness about it. When we go to someone's home and eat where the family eats, I was always taught in pastoral care by Dr. Gherkin that when you move from the formal living room to the kitchen table, the table where the family eats, that's when you know you have a relationship. 
Kids can tell you that eating still means something today because one of the most painful times for a child in school is lunchtime. Because kids sit at a table and that's when you figure out you're either invited to sit with this group or you're told go sit at another table, which means you don't belong with us. Eating together can be sacred. It can also be painful. Jesus makes it sacred. He's eating together now with the tax collectors and those that the Pharisees have deemed as sinners. And and when Jesus perceives what they're saying, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, what I love is, if you catch this, Jesus doesn't tell us which one is which. The Pharisees will make the assumption that they're the ones who are righteous. Maybe. Or maybe Jesus is subtly saying, or it could be you're the sinners that maybe needed the repentance. Those who are well, they don't need the physician, it's the sick. And I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus doesn't say which is which, we get to decide. And then there's that word repentance. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That word means to turn. It means to change. It means to be different. What Jesus teaches us in the scripture, too, is that acceptance is not the same thing as tolerance. What I mean by that is Jesus accepts them and eats at the table with them and shows oneness and solidarity, but there's still a call for transformation. There's still a call for change. We, we've kind of believed in our world today and in our culture today, our society today, that acceptance has to mean tolerance. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's eating with the tax collectors and sinners, and he's still calling all to repentance, to turn, to, to become the disciples and the people that God is calling us to be. Dr. Fred Craddock, an amazing professor and of, of, of New Testament, an amazing preacher who was uh, my my mentor and preaching professor when I was in seminary and he recently passed away but in his commentary he shares no other writer in the New Testament approaches Luke's frequency of reference to repentance. I find that interesting because Luke's the one we always see as reaching out to the sinners, the lost, the least, the marginalized, the outcast but acceptance and embracing does not mean there's not a call for turning and changing to be the people that God is calling us to be. I I love this scripture as I study it, read it. We recently read this together in a Bible study that I teach on Wednesday nights. And, And one of the things that I love about this scripture is that no one would ever have recommended Jesus pick Levi as a disciple. But Jesus sees something in us that other people may not. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't look upon our appearance. He doesn't look upon our worldly status. He doesn't see us the way culture might see us. He doesn't rank us in the way sometimes the rest of the world wants to rank us. Jesus looks into our hearts and sees who we are. And the good news for you and the good news for me is that when Jesus looks at us, he sees us. He just sees us. 
Someone that he loved enough to die for and someone that he loves enough to call and say, follow me. So when Jesus looks at you and he looks at me, he says, follow me. Matthew got up and followed right then. In my previous church, when I was serving as a pastor, there was a guy in our congregation, and his name was Jim. I loved Jim. He was a, one of the nicest people you'd ever meet. He was a little guy, friendly, always smiling, always having a good time. Jim had one bad habit, and that was he would pull into the church. He was always helping out, pressure washing the sidewalks, doing whatever he could do, helping build things, do things, but he would leave his keys in his truck. And so I just couldn't resist. I would have a tendency to, when he wasn't paying attention, get in his truck and, and I would let it roll away so he couldn't hear me start it. And I would start it up and roll it somewhere else on the church campus and park it to where I would then watch him walk around going, where's my truck? And he knew it was me because, well, I did it pretty regularly. But one of the things I loved about Jim was he would... He carried in his pocket these little wooden coins that he would periodically give. Because one of the things that bothered him was how people would delay doing something. And, well, I'll do that someday when I get around to it. You know, I'd like to do that when I get around to it. I plan to when I get around to it. And so he had these little wooden coins made and on it was stamped round to it. And so when somebody would go, I will do that when I get around to it, or I plan to when I get around to it, he would toss them one and go, now you have around to it. You have around to it now. So what's stopping you? Jesus calls us to follow, and immediately Levi, Matthew, gets up and follows. What is it that's keeping us from getting up right then and follow? Jesus is calling us, to follow now. And he calls us to repentance. That's a word we don't like in our culture right now. And if a preacher uses that word repentance, we sometimes think, well, they must be a fundamentalist. They're talking repentance. But repentance is part of our theology. The word metanoia means to turn, to change, to change one's heart, to change one's direction, to change one's mind, to change our lives. And that's what God's calling us to is to a change. So if you need a round to it, let me know. I know where to get you one because the call is for today. God sees something in you and he's not worried about what the rest of the world may see in you. He sees something in you that he loves dearly. He's willing to die for. And he wants you to become one of his disciples. Follow me. And so our challenge now is will we get up and follow? And will we turn? I've come to call sinners to repentance. Will we become the people that God has called us to be? And Levi teaches us, Matthew teaches us, that the next step was worship. He threw a party to celebrate Jesus. Read the scripture again. He threw a banquet for him. The banquet was to worship Jesus, to celebrate that Jesus is part of our lives. And finally, he teaches us about evangelism because all evangelism is, is inviting our friends, our families, our colleagues, 
I need you to come and meet this Jesus who changed my world. And what was beautiful? Jesus ended up sitting at a table with a large crowd of them. Before Matthew ever goes on, Levi ever goes on to become the leader of the church, he had already been an evangelist. Family and friends, tax collectors and sinners all gathered in his home with Matthew going, you've got to meet this Jesus. No wonder, no wonder Jesus told, called Levi to be a disciple because he teaches us how to respond to Jesus' call. He teaches us what repentance looks like when he left his old life and became a new person. He teaches us about worship when we're so enthralled with our Lord, we throw the banquet for him. And he teaches us about evangelism, how to invite our friends, our neighbors, our family and colleagues to meet this Jesus who changed our world. And that was only in a few verses. Imagine the change you can make with your life. Will you pray with me? God, we just give you thanks for your, your word. We give you thanks for the example of Matthew, for Levi, for the example he gives to us. And God, we pray that, that we would respond in the same way. God, we praise you that you're willing to look at us for who we are and not for how the world may rank us and how the world may evaluate us, but you look inside of us and you see value and you love us. Thank you for seeing value in who we are and for loving us. And God, thank you for loving us enough to call us to follow you and be disciples. And now we pray that we would respond, that we would get up, Leave everything, that old life and the old self, and become the new being and follow you. And God, help us to worship because we are so excited to be in your presence. And God, may we witness and share the good news and be evangelists for you by sharing with our friends, our colleagues, our family, our neighbors, everyone around us, come and experience this Lord and Savior who changed my life and who loves you as much as he loves me. If we can be like Levi, Matthew, you can change the world. In the name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen.